welcome to the VLGA Connect Governance Update for State Budget Week. And Steve Cooper, I think he was a bit concerned about what was coming out of the budget because he left the state. Steve, where are you this morning? Chris, I'm in uh, beautiful downtown Hobart in... Uh Actually, I decided to duck inside in Waterman's Hotel and they've fed me and given me coffee so and, and provided me with Wi-Fi. So it's a good place to be. Excellent. And I imagine it's a little bit nippy outside. Well, Chris, if I can play show and tell for a minute, it was meant to be five degrees overnight. So um, a carries beanie, but um, just buy a beanie for a good charity and you need your gloves as well. So, um, But it's warming up now. It's going to be a beautiful day in Hobart. And can I actually say the place is just bristling with confidence? Um, I don't know the, why. Well, apparently in the last week, all any empty shops have filled up. The uh, confidence of the council staff is booming, and the uh, what is it? The digital transformation program uh, at the council's kicked on as well. All in a week. Um, now that wouldn't have anything to do with uh, our Kelly Grigsby going down there and taking over as of I think last week. I might have gilded the lily a bit, Chris, um, but you and I know that Kelly Grigsby is a very talented CEO. So um, all of those things, if they haven't happened already, will happen, I'm sure. Kelly, if you're watching, and I do notice there is some Hobart listenership and downloading of this program. If it's you, Kelly, we miss you, but good luck. Um, I, I, I hope Steve Cooper gave you a call to request permission to enter the Territory. <laughs> Well, someone did tell me yesterday, Chris, that um, mainlanders need a passport to get into into Hobart. So. <laughs> I'm sure yours is, is up to date. Now, the big news this week, other than the state budget, which we'll come to, uh, Steve, is the release of a, a Victorian Ombudsman's report. Um, Deborah Glass has looked at how the councils across the state have administered financial hardship policies and it's been a real mixed scorecard hasn't it mm. a salutary reminder chris obviously i mean financial hardship is typically around rates um and yes it, it, uh, the ombudsman did give a mixed scorecard i thought the really interesting um part of that report chris was that there was a reminder that the word may is a latin word which means um be a good idea to have a policy yes <laughs> Yes. yes. and so, um, Because I, I did notice one of her recommendations was to require councils to have a hardship policy. And I, I must admit that surprised me because I thought, and it might be because of the, the, the subtlety of the wording, I thought councils did have to have one already. So there you go. I learned something. Yeah, it's an interesting one too, though, Chris. Is In a sense, it goes beyond hardship because it's a reminder that, and I'll get the words wrong, but that the, we're still in the 1989 Act in relation to rates and charges but the council may waive interest or either generally or specifically. And so not uncommon, for example, for councils in a, a drought or natural disaster um, to, to waive um, those sorts of charges more generally. It becomes more interesting, though, um, where there are specific requests for waiver of interest and councils really needing to have a fair and consistent approach. And I did notice also a comment from uh, the Ombudsman that, you know, waiving of rates should happen only rarely and that discretion should be, I think the quote was discretion should be the order of the day. Because there were some examples where, you know, at face value without digging into the, the detail, there did seem to be some pretty unfair sort of outcomes, didn't they? I think, um, and, and look, my take, Chris, would be that for the most part, councils get it right. It's not uncommon, for example, when we talk about, you know, the asset-rich, cash-poor class of people and many um, 
many of the elderly citizens, for example, might be sitting on properties where they can't afford to pay the rates. And it is not unusual for councils just to defer payment, um, allow the rates and interest to accrue. That's all the charge on the property. You know that the council will collect those funds at some point when the person dies. Um, you know, that's reasonably well understood. It becomes more interesting um, digging into the detail of when should a council actually waive the interest charge. And um, I was a bit interested in a comment that the Ombudsman's report made where it talked about the fact that um, the interest payments are a punishment for not paying the rates on time. And I must admit, I sort of did a bit of a double take at that because whilst for the person concerned, it's certainly a punishment. I would hope that council officers in enforcing these policies, if there is a policy, would say that uh, the interest is actually a disincentive for non-payment, which is a quite different mindset. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, Steve, I think we should um, uh, point out that the Ombudsman is coming on VLGA Connect next week with, and Catherine Art is joining in, in that discussion and we'll be able to explore those issues, I think, in far finer detail at that time. I look, look forward to seeing that, Chris. It'll be a really interesting um, interesting discussion. And there's a lot of nuance around what does fairness look like and what are the points at which um, at which those discretions should be applied. So I look forward to it. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Steve. And of course, the report is uh, online if, uh, if anyone wants to have a look at that in the meantime. Uh, it is, we do have some senior appointment news, which we'll uh, save to, to the end. Um, it is State Budget Week and uh, you and the VLGA team particularly, can I say good morning and thank you to Deborah Wu, have done a power of work going over the papers and the announcements to see uh, what it means for local government. What, what's the headline, do you think, from your perspective? Oh, look, I think there's a few of them, Chris. The, uh, the continuation of the Growing Suburbs Fund, $50 million in 2021-22, uh, um, expansion of the region and regional and metropolitan partnerships program. You're quite familiar with those programs. $55 million of investment in community sport infrastructure and $10 million for female-friendly facilities. So... Some important things there. I think there's some other ones that go outside the sector, but also look to um, our partnerships with other agencies or where local government might not quite be the lead agency, but a $3.8 billion investment in reforming mental health yeah. uh, following the Royal Commission. That, that is massive. We spoke to Ang Angus Cleland about that on a special VLGA Connect last week. Uh, he described it as a, as a generational shift in the approach to the issue when coupled with the investment that's coming in the federal budget, it really is going to be major, uh, a major shift in, in the approach. And there's, there's a lot in there, actually, for councils, Steve. There's these new collectives that will be funded in each LGA. Um, there will be a lot more partnerships, I think, you'll see happening around, you know, things like headspace-type approach uh, to facilities. So big, yep. big news in that space. I think you're right, Chris. Uh, there's certainly been a recurring theme through that budget of local action, um, possibly in response to COVID and these sorts of issues. As a side one, Chris, I was I was quite interested in the dynamic too that um, there are specific taxes um, that have been um, quarantined, if you like. There's another word for it that's just eluded me at the moment. Hypothecated for um, for mental health services, and it it's a reminder, and it's probably a useful kind of. Um, uh, introduction to that discussion around tax that in fact taxes are sometimes necessary or in fact necessary for a civil society and this one's a reminder where um, you know a particular tax is being applied to mental health. 
It'd be interesting to see where the multidisciplinary community-based hubs are going to be located. That's another thing we spoke to Angus about. Um, five or so each year for the next five uh, years or so. Some have been announced, some yet to be announced. I imagine there's work being done behind the scenes to work out where the priorities are. For I think, I think uh, council planning teams are going to be quite busy at that strategic end around the placement of those. Also, obviously, there's a big investment in housing, Chris, and uh, that will have a similar, a similar it, it implication. Will. Gender equality has been uh, given quite a bit of attention in this budget too, Steve. Yeah, $4.3 million for a gender equality responsive budget unit. Um, and there's obviously a lot of work being done across all levels of government about the implementation of the Gender Equality Act. So having supports in place for that implementation so it's embedded rather than being just a compliance burden, I think is really important. And nearly $2 million for a Women in Local Government Community Leadership Training Program. I think 120 women will be funded to participate in this program, which is supporting their pathways towards the next council elections in 2024. Yeah, and... Much, much applauded. Uh, one of the points of that, though, Chris, is um, if you think, if you work through the sort of proportion of candidates to the proportion elected, um, and that's a pretty simple metric, there's, we need something like a 1,000 uh, female candidates to stand to get the 50% necessary um, uh, to reach that, that target. So... Uh, as much work as possible that can be done early in supporting uh, women um, into leadership positions, particularly locally, uh, is welcomed. Absolutely. A couple of the big wins for some specific councils that might be worth mentioning. Glen Elgshire, $17 million for an employment fund. Latrobe City, $10 million for new jobs in the Latrobe Valley. And of course, we know over time that area is going through massive economic restructure because of the change there uh, with uh, with industry and central goldfields uh, nearly a hundred million dollars for a new building at the Maribar hospital works to happen next year they'd be very excited about that announcement i think so and there's also some economic development initiatives for central goldfields uh as well uh with a campaign to um, promote jobs and opportunities in the region and i know having done some work at central goldfields there's really an untapped resource there because people think of Bendigo and Ballarat as the, you know, the gold cities, but in fact, uh, it's around Maryborough and Denali that is really at the heart of, of that historical golding. And what a delightful place to spend a bit of time in Maryborough. I've been there a couple of times in recent times and uh, reminded me what a, what a lovely little place it is. If anyone hasn't been to the uh, Maryborough station, put it on your list. It is an extraordinary site. So, um, and more yeah. reason to do so coming because I think there's a project there to have a, like a living museum uh, project set up there, which has been funded recently as well. So keep an eye on that. Libraries haven't missed out, nearly $10 million for the Public yeah. Libraries Fund, Steve, and the Growing Suburbs Fund, which um, is you know about those those big interface councils, particularly where all the growth is happening, another $50 million in the fund. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Chris, emergency management, a significant investment, um, nearly $800 million for bushfire recovery, over $100 million for case support, financial counselling, mental health, etc. Um, $4 million for school and early childhood services in affected areas, uh, nearly $30 million for emergency management facility upgrades. And I know in some areas, you know, the quality of SES facilities has been a bit of an issue and almost $400 million to reduce bushfire risk 
and a safer together strategy. So a big investment in emergency management, quite rightly. So much in there. I see the metropolitan partnerships are going to continue and the regional partnerships uh, are going to continue with the $16 million provided to uh, to continue the work that they are doing. So look, Steve, we can't read every line of the budget. Uh, these are just the ones that we think touch on or affect uh, local government. There are plenty more. Uh, and of course, we encourage people to dig a bit deeper if they want to know exactly what's in it for their areas. Sounds like a good plan, Chris. Yes. Now, before we wrap up, uh, I do want to pay tribute to another CEO who has indicated this week that they're going to leave the sector. Helen Morrissey, who's, who's been around the sector for a long time, has been the CEO of Brimbank since 2017, is, is retiring in another month or so. She's going to be greatly missed. I've, I've got to say, worked closely with Helen for quite some time um, she's a, a terrific CEO, lovely person, and I know she's really looking forward to having more time to spend with the grandkids. Chris, I endorse everything that you've said. I've been lucky enough to do some work with Helen over the years. And, um, yeah, obviously agree with you completely, but uh, sadly she does barrack for Collingwood. And um, <laughs> yes, I'm sorry well, I can't get over that. <laughs> I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure I knew that. Uh, I'm just going to re- reassess. Well, uh, I am gobsmacked that you, that you, you no, didn't did. know it. I did. I've just tried very hard not not to hold it against you. Just her. put it aside. Yeah. For our interstate listeners, there's also been a, a general manager appointment announced this week at Windsor Caribbean. Now, Windsor Caribbean's gone through a lot in recent times. The council's been removed. There's an interim administrator who's doing a lot of work uh, to, to get things uh, on, you know, what he would call an even keel. And uh, he's appointed a new general manager in Lisa Miss Campbell, I knew I was going Lisa to Miss Campbell, yep. Miss Campbell, uh, who is uh, coming to to head up that Shire Council uh, very soon. Yeah, and highly respected administrator Viv May, the former uh, general it. manager yeah. of Mossman uh, City Council. Uh, I've got a sense though, Chris, that Winter Caribbean is a bit like Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That you actually quite like saying it. I do, I do. <laughs> it's a fun word. It just rolls off the tongue. So Miss Miss Campbell will start at Winter Caribbean on the 21st of June. And she's coming from Hunters Hill Council, where she's been general manager there for a while. Anything else to share with us, Steve, before we wrap up? I think our work's nearly done. I've got to go and look at some art galleries and architecture and so on over the next few days. Um, So no, I think our work's done today. Enjoy your time in Hobart. Ms Grigsby knows you're there now, so look out. They'll be making sure that you're putting money in the parking meter or whatever it is you're supposed to do. Uh, All all the best. I I will be very corporate and obey all the local laws. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Steve. Always good to talk. Steve Cooper, Chief of Staff of the VLGA for the governance update, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now.